Welcome to the Changelog, episode 0.1.2. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I am Wynn Netherland. John Nudemaker stuck around, and we ran through the projects on our radar, the ones that we posted up on thechangelog.com. And when we do that, they become featured projects over on GitHub at github.com forward slash explore. It's also a great way to catch up on some old episodes that maybe you haven't seen. Also, I'd like to remind you, you can go out to tail.thechangelog.com and see a real-time view of the world of open source as open source commits flow in and out of GitHub. We've gotten lots of good feedback on that, actually, on, on Twitter. Yeah, I was proud that iTod added us at Changelog Show and, and told us that he appreciated the application since uh, we appreciate his project, Fluid. Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of fun, too, when people discover that, you know, when they first get there, they see this, you know, sort of tail-like application of what's happening on GitHub, but then they also notice that they can have uh, filters applied to that, you know, either through the, the normal constant flowing tail or through that more spot where you can actually just scroll the infinite scroll. And browse backwards in time on the more application? Yeah, it's kind of fun to just see people like, you know, discover tail.thechannel.com first, and then they're like, oh, oh, wow, I can actually filter by, you know, event types and then also languages. So I often just sit there and, uh, you know, whenever I'm looking for cool stuff to post to the change log, I often just sit there with a certain filter and look across, uh, you know, because I'm, you know, all about Ruby. I'm always, you know, filtering just by Ruby, right? You know, only Ruby stuff. <laughs> but, you know, it's also great to, to be able to filter out those event types that you don't care about. And if you just remove the pushes, then it becomes a lot more manageable to, oh, yeah. to kind of drink from that fire hose. Where else can folks catch up with us? Well, I think if, uh, if, they, if they're on Twitter, they should go to, you know, Twitter right now and follow us. We're... The show is Changelog Show, oddly enough. It's not The Changelog. It's Changelog Show, and I have a Twitter account. It's Adam S-T-A-C, and uh, who are you, in? I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. What about in person? I know we're going to be at FOA at the end of the month. Yeah, FOA. We'll be at uh, the Future of Web Apps held by Carsonified down in Miami, Florida. That is happening May 22nd through the 24th. Both myself and Wynn will be there. We'll be there probably representing the... The change log, of course, and also the Web 2.0 show. So uh, if you see us, say hi. We'd love to meet you. Absolutely. Ready to get to the episode? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, John's uh, kind enough to stick around and talk uh, through the news with us. And it's usually news of the week, but we wanted to go back a bit and catch up on some items that we uh, dropped over the Christmas break. And so the first item up is friendly, NoSQL with MySQL and Ruby. So this is from uh, James Golick, I believe, right? Yeah. So yep. your take, John, since you've got a Mongo mapper out there for MongoDB, this is kind of a similar approach in schemaless database, but they're doing it with a uh, relational backend in MySQL. So what's your take on this repo? I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, uh, whether you use MySQL or or use a NoSQL database from the beginning. Uh, the, this, it's just the concepts that matter, and you know the concept that they're doing with this is is the same. They're just they're kind of writing some of the code that would maybe be in Mongo. But I think they I think these guys actually did try Mongo, and they ran into some some issue that they had. I, I don't know what it was, um, but so I think it's a pretty interesting project. I for me, it's I mean. Being, I'm probably wrong, but for me, I would say it's kind of like using Cake PHP instead of Rails. But I, I could be horribly wrong on that. I haven't looked at it a ton, but it seems really interesting, and I definitely plan on like going through the code because I'm sure there's some some interesting stuff in there. James usually puts out good work, so 
But it's nice to see that the you know NoSQL, for the lack of a better term, uh, the schemaless database yeah. approach you know is is really getting prevalent. Yeah. Well, and the other great thing is that if there's some organizations that they don't want to support a million databases and stuff, and they don't want to update, you know. And so if if they want to use MySQL, but you still want to get the benefits of NoSQL, this this is great for that. I mean, this is perfect, you know. And I'm sure, like, I mean, I know they've talked about it before, but this was made to handle like a lot of traffic and and a lot of stuff. So I'm, I think it's pretty interesting. It's definitely. For some people, it's gonna it's gonna be perfect, and for, you know, for others, it won't be. Um, but that's the great thing is everybody's different, and you know, there's whether it's split right down the middle, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's no no sides, so I think it's that's really cool a nice project. Uh, nice segue into uh, more of a front end project in SCSS, it's CSS style syntax for SAS. Uh, it seems like SAS you either love it or hate it. You SAS at all, John? Uh, no, I. I was a hater, but we're actually, and this is like, uh, we're actually thinking about throwing some SAS functionality into Harmony. So, oh, yeah. So we're gonna get me excited. Well, we we just kind of Steve added it as a as an issue the other day and kind of smiled at me. And I, at first, I was like, oh, I hate Hamel and SAS. But then I was like, you know, I've never really looked at SAS, and we've talked about supporting variables and and things like that. So why not use something that already works? So I I would say that's probably going to come to a harmony near you in the next month or so is Very some cool. kind of support for SAS out of the out of the box. Did Steve share any any opinions on SAS with you that you can share here on the on the change log? Well, I think what got him excited. So Steve's Steve's the designer, the aesthetic of half of ordered list and so I think what got him excited is, you know, the ability to do a little bit of programming with I mean both of us have always had a few things that we think CSS should do. And one of them is variables because you reuse colors, you reuse like things that just makes sense. And the other thing that SAS does, you know, it allows you to do functions, which is kind of interesting. The other thing that is huge, I think, is nesting uh, declarations. So, you know, if you if you want to if you have a div with an ID of main and you have like some posts or something inside of that, you can do a, a declaration with curly braces for main, and then inside of that, you can do like dot post, and it'll actually automatically add like sharp main dot post as like the full selector for that thing so there's some really cool stuff with SAS that it does in that aspect that I think that's what really drew him to it because it can remove some duplication from your your style sheets so I was thinking about that the other day I actually um sadly enough I'm working with uh, WordPress on this other site I'm working with it's uh, the web 2.0 show uh, web2oshow.com, but I'm working on a new theme for it and I you know through Wins Help we actually have a gem out there called Compass WordPress where we actually use SAS and Compass to work with WordPress just uh, it's kind of kind of wild. But uh, I was thinking to myself, Jesus, if I had to write this with actual CSS, uh, how much repetition <laughs> I would actually do? And I was just thinking this morning too when I was making the coffee. I, was, I don't know why I reflected on. It. I'm thinking if I had to repeat all those selectors, how much time would I waste every day <laughs> doing that CSS? It's just insane. But that's wild. Cool. I, I'm you happy know, to see it, that coming to Harmony. As in uh, one way that you know the, the schemaless approach is, is kind of creeping into web development. It, it, if there's so many projects out there that are taking this approach, it you know it cries that a problem is out there, right? And I think it's Definitely. the same thing with with CSS processors and meta frameworks, whatever you want to call them. If there's so many approaches between SAS and less CSS and XCSS and uh, you name it, there's a project out there in your language to to do this type of of work to generate the CSS. I think it just speaks to maybe CSS needs some modernization. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys know this, does it 
when it does like some of the things I, I've read about what it does, but does it use the spec if it's there? Like, cause I know there's a spec for variables already. I didn't know if maybe they use the same syntax or. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not okay. sure. Chris would definitely be able to answer that. Maybe uh, just in curious. your free time, pipe out on Twitter and just say, Hey, at Chris Epstein, does SAS leverage CSS's natural variable. Uh, I think that'd be really cool to have a processor that actually supports the standards that are, that are set that will be in browsers someday when they update, and that'd be kind of interesting. But. Yeah, currently, I think since browser support is limited for those particular variables in CSS, I don't think they're, they're doing that Word currently. I think it's all okay. pre-processed, and then just vanilla CSS comes out the other side. One project I wanted to touch on was Configulary, which is still a tongue twister for me. But uh, we had you know, an excited Mr. Flip. He's the, um, the guy behind this project, and he was thrilled to get a, such a rousing uh, endorsement from the changelog show that it's probably not crap. So now that we've got uh, you know, a heavyweight Rubyist on the show, I wanted to get your take on uh, this particular project and the problem it aims to solve, and I'm sure that uh, you've got a gist that, that does this for you automatically. <laughs> yeah, so configuration is a part of every project. It's just, it's guaranteed. And it's another one of those things that everybody does differently. So, I mean, I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now, and it looks... Pretty similar. Uh, I haven't looked at the code, but like the API is pretty similar to like what we use. I, I actually have. I think I might even post it on Rails Tips. If you search config on Rails Tips, it might be up there. But I, we use this. Yeah, like a YAML type, you know, slurp thing that just literally pulls it in, and and then boom, you have settings. Um, so it's real similar to kind of what he's doing. But this, I mean, this is obviously something that everybody's struggling with because there are a lot of config frameworks out there, and this one seems like one of the more simple ones that I've seen, which is that's good. So. Still love the name. Still yeah. <laughs> so would you say that it's probably crap or probably not crap? That's his, ah. No, I said, uh, <laughs> I, said <laughs> I didn't know if it was crap. And then <laughs> you said uh, you laughed at that remark. I'm just joking around. Just, yeah. I'm just messing around. Gotcha. Gordon, an open source Flash runtime written in pure JavaScript. This one went from just a few watchers to uh, several hundred in one day on GitHub. And, and we were working with... Um, with Chris Weinstroth over at GitHub when I think he was working on the, the trends on GitHub at the time. And this was one of the projects that came up in that conversation because now we're up over a thousand watchers just a week later. So what do you guys think? Open source, flash runtime, and pure JavaScript. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, I, like, I thought it was a joke. I checked my calendar to see if it was April Fool's. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really cool. Uh, it doesn't. I think if it could support like some of the net streaming stuff, like video and things like that, I don't think it does now. I think that would be epic. But even just now, I mean, that's really cool. And this one got me excited. Twitter node node.js based tweet streaming. So we've got a streak here that we've got to keep going with uh, mentioning node.js in our episodes. But this one from Technoini, which you mentioned in the uh, the interview portion of the show, and you know that's Rick Olson. If you don't know Technoini's handle on. Uh, GitHub. This is a Node.js uh, server for um, streaming uh, Twitter updates. Straight up, Node.js is the future. I mean, it is. JavaScript is such an awesome language. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and just claim it. Like it I, I looked at it the other day, and I had been ignoring it for quite a while. And I finally just was like, okay, what's this Node.js stuff about? You know, kind of like the crazy Mongo database. And I was just blown away. I mean, in like two seconds, you know, I used Homebrew. Uh, it's on GitHub, and I did brew install Node.js and like made a little tiny server and did a hello world. And I mean, I haven't had a geek out like that in a long time. It was really cool. Right about you now know, is the time that uh, that Wind chimes in with Resig's quote. 
about JavaScript. I'm not going to do that this time. You'll have to listen to an older episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it forces you to, if you're going to embrace these server-side JavaScript frameworks, I think a lot of us, um, they're, they're more involved code, I would imagine. I haven't done a lot of this firsthand on the server-side, but uh, I'll give you another JavaScript quote that I saw, and I'm not sure who to attribute this to. I need to go back and look and put it in the show notes. But You can attribute it to me. There you go. I'll put it uh, next to Jay Nunemaker. So the uh, uh, they liken you know JavaScript as a the incredibly hot girl at the party that always <laughs> brings her uh, loser boyfriend Dom, <laughs> right? And so you know if you're writing server side JavaScript, you're you're finally cut loose of the Dom, the document object model, um, and so it it forces you to. Well, I guess you're free now to organize your JavaScript in a more sophisticated manner. And part of that is just simply writing better JavaScript. And we talked about it in an earlier episode of semicolons, good or bad, writing server-side JavaScript. And you know, a big piece of that is, I guess, if you're going to have validating JavaScript, is, is using JSLint. Have you used this project? No, I haven't. So JSLint basically is a validator for... Oh, yeah, yeah, I have used JSLint, sorry. If you've used the, the TextMate bundle to, uh, to validate <laughs> your JavaScript, it's using Lint behind the scenes. So jQuery Lint came out. That's the longest uh, intro segue in history. Uh, jQuery Lint came out uh, this week, and it plugs into Firebug and validates and makes suggestions for improving your jQuery. So I was really excited about this particular project. You see the screenshot up on the change log. You see that um, it inspects the selectors that you use for your jQuery code, and then recommends different selectors. Which you know that's a big deal when writing jQuery is just caching those selectors and, and being a lot more um, optimized in, in the selectors that you use. You write a lot of jQuery. Yes, <laughs> uh, Harmony is actually uh, has more JavaScript than Ruby. Um, so yeah, we have we have a ton of of jQuery in there. So yeah, I need to. I saw this the other day, but I haven't tried it yet. Um, but I'm I'm pretty curious about it. It looks interesting. So on top of that, does it also not require you to do like console log and stash the variable, and so you can see it in the in the console? Does it do that for you? In you know, I haven't used it firsthand. I need to to kick the tires. But from the um, the intro, I, I don't believe that you had to do anything special to manually inspect those variables. Yeah, the, I know Lint itself is really cool. The JS Lint. Um, I've done, you know, I had the, the TextMate bundle for a while. I ended up turning it off because it was a little bit slow. Um, but it, yeah, it's pretty cool how you can like just, you know, I found a lot of places where I like I just, you know, missed a semicolon or forgot a var. You know, it just happens randomly. And so, I mean, I can imagine that doing the same kind of thing like on top of that for jQuery. That, that's pretty sweet. I'll definitely be checking that out. As a side note, we should probably make a note to. To uh, to get a hold of somebody like Remy Sharp, who does uh, jQuery for designers, he'd probably be good to have on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Show off the best darn presentation software a developer could ever love from our friend Scott Chacon over at the Hub. Uh, I have played with this one. It's pretty cool. I have a presentation coming up next week on uh, SaaS of all things. So <laughs> I thought about giving this a uh, a try. I guess ultimately I'm still addicted to Keynote. I think that's one of the uh, the apps this one has in its sights. But it's essentially a um, looks like a built-in uh, Sinatra web app that allows you to build your presentations in HTML, JavaScript, and, and CSS. Yeah, I, I'm, I became a big fan of Keynote. Um, I teach a JavaScript class at Notre Dame in the fall, and so I had to learn how to show code and presentations and things like that. And uh, so I started using Keynote, and at first it's a little bit awkward, but it definitely gets the job done. But so I, I can't see myself switching, but it was interesting. I think 
there's definitely an opportunity because it doesn't sound like anybody's ever real happy with, you know, code presentations and stuff like that and how, what it takes to get it, get it going. Um, so I think it, it looks pretty cool. So you, so you tried it out and it, what do you think? I mean, it's, I did. It's, I mean, it's still early. It's a brand new project. I'm not sure that it's, it's ready for, for me personally, but I could see where I definitely see the problem it's trying to solve. And as you mentioned, showing code in your presentations is one of the, the most difficult things you can do for all of the, the benefits of something like Keynote, showing code in a way that you know, fits the limited resolution that you normally have on a, a projector is difficult. And then um, there's certain times if you, if you have to wrap text, a lot of times it may, that, can, that may or may not be valid in the particular mm-hmm. language that you're trying to display. So... Um, you know, do you have any tips for the listeners? Say that you do this in uh, in Keynote as far as uh, yeah. displaying your code in Keynote. Yeah, I've got a, a draft blog post. I've just been waiting to put together because there's there's a few things you can do, and it makes it a lot easier. Um, I think it's Dr. Nick has a copy as RTF Rich Text Format bundle, and that is like priceless. Um, if you install that for TextMate, you can literally you know code your stuff up and just copy and paste your syntax highlighting right into Keynote. Um, so a lot of times I go with you know, white background because you don't have to worry about contrast on the screen and stuff like that. And then I just use one of the white themes in TextMate and I can do copy as RTF and paste it right in, bump up the font size a little bit, and the code just looks great. Um, and I know I found, and I'm sure the same is true with other developers, but the students really reacted to the, the syntax highlighting. Um, like being able to see that really helped them understand what was going on. So I, I think the copy as RTF was one of the biggest things that I figured out. And then, you know, going with a simple background color so that you don't have to worry about, like, things looking washed out or stuff like that um, has helped me the most. So what are you teaching uh, America's youth at the university? Uh, it basically, it's just an intro to JavaScript. It's literally, like, English majors and history I mean, they, they don't have any programming experience at all. So I have to teach them just enough HTML to get it going, and then uh, it's, you know, Basics of JavaScript, learning how to program variables, you know, functions, stuff like that. And then the second half of the class is all jQuery. So it's literally just like pedal the metal, uh, get some get something going, and and uh, it's it's pretty fun. It's a lot of fun to to see people get excited for the first time again. Um, like we, you know, they, when they make something draggable and they're just their eyes light up, like whoa, I can show my friends this. So, and you find yourself when you when you teach a subject, you really have to know the subject. Yeah, yep. Because they ask questions that I have never even thought. <laughs> so yeah, it's it is that's very true. That's kind of tough. That's kind of tough. Before we go away from show off real quick, I think some things we're not really thinking about there with uh, with what it does is in its future plans, it actually intends to be like this dynamic presentation server. And what's cool about that is that um, it it has plans for actually having the audience interact with the presentation. So oh, wow, the fact that it's like this presentation server it runs on a URL and. You can kind of get dynamic with it, like show tweets in it, and um, very, very dynamic where you actually include the audience. And I think that's what uh, every person who gives a presentation tries to be very interactive. Yeah. And if we're going to go down that road, why not try to build it into the software that does the presentation? And not only that, but it's it's you know let's face it, it's code, right? So you can throw it into a Git repository, share it with the world, like we do with our open source software. And you know that's a big, big win there too. You can't really share a keynote like that. I mean, I guess you can, right? But can you version a keynote? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, only I think at it's the just... binary level, I guess, and that, yeah. that's always awkward. But yeah, it's a good point. You know, you could yeah. fork a presentation. Yeah, <laughs> fork, fork, fork my presentation, baby. <laughs>
Next up, Congo Mongo. Use MongoDB from Clojure. So uh, I think we probably beat the MongoDB horse on past episodes and this one. But what what makes this one interesting to me is is the fact that you're calling it from Clojure, and um, it, it seems to be a rise in these functional programming languages. Have you dabbled in these at all, John? No, I haven't. I they seem cool. I'm you know not like a computer scientist or anything, so I haven't really gotten into f- that that part of functional programming. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems interesting. I've, I've closure and and some of them are on my radar for maybe kind of tinkering with in the next year. Or so, at our last Ruby meetup here in Dallas, um, some of the guys are, are starting a functional programming languages uh, user group here in the Dallas area, and they're calling it Lambda Lambda Lambda. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought that was a perfect name. Alrighty, we should have saved this one for the last uh, talk. Adam, you may have to do some splicing in, in post-production. JavaScript as a teaching tool. Here you go, John. Learn <laughs> classic computer uh, science approaches using a language you probably already know. So have you seen this repo? Yeah, I, I looked through it a little. I bookmarked it to, to look at it later because I, I want to go through it, mostly because I have no computer science background at all. Um, so I, I've always found algorithms and stuff like that interesting. And JavaScript is such an awesome language. So... Um, but no, I haven't. I mean, I would say definitely JavaScript is a great language for teaching programming. Um, but I, I, you know, this computer science stuff is is really interesting too. So, just curious, when you said you bookmarked, did you mean you you watched? Uh, no. So I I typically don't use watch because then I get every commit and it kind of overloads it. So I uh, I think I might have talked about it in the other episode. But I have a a tiny little Heroku Mongo HQ app that I use, and I it's just like a bookmarklet like instapaper type thing but not as fancy as instapaper um where you can just mark something to look at it later and so i do everything in batches so i you know get all my feeds find all the interesting things bookmark mark them to read later and then when i have time i usually go back and look at them so this is on the radar to do that so i'm looking at the uh, network graph for this particular project and uh it's interesting to see folks forking it and adding their own own examples so php mo admin mongodb admin tool for PHP, and I know they're, they're riffing off PHP MyAdmin, which we all know, love, and probably hate from uh, former lives of, of dealing with MySQL, but uh, I love the, the Mo in this. It's, it's MoAdmin and PHP MyAdmin. Uh, but you know, we've seen a lot of these crop up, these GUI tools for, for Mongo. When we had Mike Duroff from MongoDB from Tengen on the, the show, we talked about you know where is the GUI for MongoDB? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Do we need one? Yeah, I, th- I think it'd be really cool. I know, I mean, uh, SQL, I think is what it's called. That's one that I used for MySQL and still do occasionally. Um, I just saw, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this or not, but there's a new one out. I think it's a Mac app called MongoHub 2, um, which I haven't really checked out yet, but that is kind of interesting to me too. Um, but yeah, I, I know, like when I was in PHP, PHP my admin was that was awesome. I learned on PHP my admin, so I, I definitely have some roots with that. So it's interesting to see other stuff crop up like this for Mongo. I think it's only a, a matter of time, but you know, you mentioned SQL. I use that primarily for for MySQL as well. And I, I love that app. I'm mm-hmm. glad to see that um, you know, it's continued to develop as it has. You know, with um, the comparison that I would draw is probably with Futon. If you've ever played it with with CouchDB, I, I think yeah. they have a nice web interface it's built in it's it's really functional so i think mongo could benefit from something similar 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, you know, you always want to be able to see your data. I've had a few people, you know, on the Mongo Mapper mailing list that are like, how do I see my data? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you can use a shell, but I think some people are just right. used to GUI tools. So, you know, they, they're not quite ready for that level of hacker to open up the green term screen. So well, it's always nice too, to get a GUI on something that can be, you know, a little difficult from a different level. But uh, as soon as you start to pull out GUI tools, you start to get to a more mainstream audience as well. Mm-hmm. Great point. Fusebox, a safer way to monkey patch JavaScript. So I was checking out this repo, and I thought it was interesting in the way that it um, aims to provide a sandbox for, for monkey patching certain uh, built-in objects in JavaScript. And I think people differ on monkey patching in general. I know in Ruby there seems to be debates on whether open classes and monkey patching is a, is a good thing or not. Uh, with uh, JavaScript, uh, usually, though, it, it's... It's a little harder to debug because you don't have those debug tools that you've got with other languages. And so when somebody's opening up prototypes and adding um, methods and then you know, what you expected that you're adding to a string prototype is, is not necessarily there because someone else has stepped on it, um, it can be confusing sometimes. So have you checked out Fusebox yet and uh, the approach that it, it takes with this namespacing? No, this is really interesting. Um, I, I've always kind of shudder at namespaces, but I can understand definitely with JavaScript when this would be would be handy. But yeah, this is pretty cool that you can uh, do that so easily. I hadn't hadn't seen it yet I behind on my feeds. But um, I mean I know personally I've I've usually I don't override anything in JavaScript. I usually just kind of add to it, you know, things like first and last on array or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, projects like this and and underscore are definitely that's I mean that's as people write more JavaScript is necessary, so you mentioned underscores. Have you used that very much? Uh, just a little bit. Uh, like I, I, the next project I start, I'll definitely be using it to try it. Um, I, you know, most of the projects that I have, I started that I'm working on now, I started before underscore. So I have other, you know, like for each patches and things like that that I that I end up using. But I think underscore is definitely what I would use next. Before we pull away from that too, we should probably mention in the comments uh, the owner of that repo, that project. Uh, uh, John Dalton actually chimed in and said he recently added support for the sandboxed Boolean native constructor as well. Sure yeah, and this is supposed to be part that. of Fuse.js, which I'm still confused about what it's going to be. I wanted to plug it, but uh, Mr. Dalton's splash page just says it's going to launch sometime in January. So he's <laughs> got about three days left to to let us know what <laughs> Fuse.js is going to be. We got our eyes on you, John. You can't hide. <laughs> But you mentioned underscore, and for the guys that don't know, underscore JS uh, was on what, episode five, I believe, from Document Cloud, which those guys are turning out some great code uh, over there. We talked to to Jeremy about uh, underscore, and it's it's. I think I've added it to every project that that I've started since that uh, that came on my radar. It's a nice little library. Next up, App Sales Graph. Graph your App Store sales data. I don't think any of us have any apps in the App Store, but it is. <laughs> it's uh, cool to see people. I guess they're scraping this data. I'm trying to figure out where they're getting this data. A couple of these have popped up in the in the last week, but I thought it was interesting to, um, you know, the app store's just gotten so big, and the reason I wanted to highlight this one today, we probably have a hard stop here at the top of the hour with uh, John waiting on the Apple Keynote. <laughs> just the, how big the app store has gotten. Do you guys uh, foresee any sort of uh, iPhone integration with Harmony? Yeah, totally. I mean, we we plan on having like a full API eventually. We'll probably start with just a little bit, but um, 
we've already had a few people talk to us about making, you know, a Mac, a Mac application for like editing your themes and uploading files and changing, you know, content. And, you know, the same thing with an iPhone, man, I, I, I would love the idea to be able to look through comments, you know, right from my iPhone and stuff like that. So I, I would definitely say someday we will. And I mean, man, you know, everybody who makes an iPhone app's rich. So why not jump on board, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you guys think there's an untapped market out there for, I guess, maybe software as a service in this case? Like we had this Mac, uh, this app sales graph, but anything hosted where you can actually pull this data in and, you know, sell a subscription to a developer to help them better manage their sales and their processes? Or is it just part of the iPhone, uh, you know, application on the store in general. I think it'd be interesting. The, the problem that you might run into is just with Apple, you know, choosing mm-hmm. to, to cut it off at any time. Right. That does suck in that, in that regard because they do have so much power. Just yeah. to drop it like a bad habit. <laughs> <laughs> Things-RB. I know this is uh, Adam's repo. He's quite excited about this. He even posted the screenshot of his Hootsuite conversation. Well, that's not my conversation. That's just uh, a couple of good friends of mine, Andy Shen and John uh, Josh Price, was just chatting on Twitter, and I followed them both and just kind of caught at a glance their conversation about things. And I've been a Things user for probably about a year and a half now, and I use it on, on the desktop as well as the iPhone. And I've been a lover of it. I store lots of notes, things to do, projects. I mean, I, I use it pretty pretty in-depth, and uh, I thought it was a really cool take. <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought it was a really cool take when I found the uh, the repo. The project on GitHub, and I just stumbled on it maybe a few weeks ago. And when I stumbled on this conversation, I'm thinking, well, I should really post that repo because these guys would appreciate it. And the next thing you know, it's, uh, you know, when we posted it, it had 30 watches. And before the end of the day, it was like up to 75. So it just shows you that, uh, that uh, there's people out there who really want to cling to this information that's in GitHub, and it just needs to find a way to get out. Yeah, it's almost up to 100 watchers now. I got some buzz, uh, you know, when, uh, when we posted it that day. It's nice to. As you say, shine a light on some of the lesser-known projects, even if they're extremely niche. I think that's kind of the whole point of the show. Even the uh, you know the developers that uh, own the the projects, they're you know they're more than ecstatic about it too because they're not really looking to get famous by any chance, but they want people to use their code. And doesn't everybody want people to use their code and and you know find some usefulness in, in what they provide back to open source? I think it's just kind of well to to give that back. But the cool thing here to take away is that uh, you know if you're geeks like us, you're probably using Terminal anyways. And you probably are on the command line most often. So why not be able to just to pop up in a new tab and you know type in a, a quick command and get you know today's to-do list from things? So you can still go back to your things UI either on your iPhone or, or whatever. But uh, you know you can you don't have to keep things running at all times either. So you can just have things closed but still access that data via the CLI. And uh, it's kind of wild. And they also piggyback off of a tool called Geek Tool to keep to-dos on your desktop, which I haven't checked out yet, but I've heard that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. I I actually did that before when I was using like Todoist or something, a, a web service. I added a little bit of Ruby stuff, you know, and showed to-dos on the desktop with Geek Tool. Geek Tool is pretty cool. I mean, it's fun. You can't customize everything, but you can make it look, look pretty decent. I think projects like this, too, are, they're really fun. Like, what people don't realize is desktop software, it all uses either SQLite or XML or something. So, like, you know, if you have a desktop app out there and you want to get into it, you can get into it. You just have to, you know, go to the the application and figure out where it's storing the data and you can you can hack around and make stuff work so i mean i think that's it's awesome when people do stuff like this and it's a lot of fun i know i've done it a few times so you know that's the beauty of github not every project is going to be this massive community effort that solves you know a particular problem that that every web app needs some of it's just going to be tiny little niche you know hobbyist type projects just like this one 
Mm-hmm. And the takeaway too on this, I guess, on John's note, the fact that you can access that XML uh, or MySQL or SQLite database is that uh, you know if you have an application you want to get access to, go take a look at this project, see how it's working, and uh, you know reverse engineer it and make it work for your uh, case and need. You just got to learn a little bit of Ruby and you're you're good to go. Yeah. Um, one other takeaway from that too. Uh, is that, um, That's five takeaways if you're scoring. Hey, I'm, take, I'm taking lots of takeaways. Here. <laughs> There's nothing left to take. I'm on the podium. Give it to me. I'm just kidding. Um, somebody, uh, actually, Andy, oh, let's, let's rewind there for a second. So when we released Tail, uh, defunct uh, Chris Wanstroth actually got pretty excited about it, obviously, as we know. And then he's like, now I just want to see Tail in my terminal. And then, and then Andy piped back up and said, maybe we should use Geek Tools to show Tail in our terminal. Yeah, no, I think that's I think I totally think that's great. Uh, Geek Tool, does that shows on the desktop too? You can actually make it your your like desktop background. I think, um, like that's how I've used it. I don't, I don't know if I've ever used it in terminal, but like you can actually make it, you know, overlay with opacity on your your desktop to show stuff. Um, so yeah, you could. I bet you could totally do like a live. You know, I did like a minute refresh on the little dumb thing I made, and yeah, I saw that tweet, and, and I was kicking around. You know, the how of actually how to pull that off. I may have to pick your brain, John, because I think that would be cool to to actually tell the change log without having to go through the uh, the web interface. We should yeah. uh, talk about that sometime. Totally, that that sounds fun. JSpec robust BDD for both client and server JavaScript. So we talked about server side JavaScript earlier, and then client side JavaScript with jQuery. So here's uh, a BDD behavior driven development library for for JavaScript. Uh, do you find yourself testing JavaScript in this way? You know, JavaScript testing, let's be honest, it kind of sucks right now. <laughs> so, I mean, the things that we need for, for testing that, or that I've found I need is in more integration related. Um, you know, most of the stuff that I use um, that is more library based already has tests. You know, I, I don't I haven't really written a lot of libraries for for JavaScript that I want to test and stuff. So and like, you know, so, I mean, I think this is awesome. And I definitely think, you know, like. For Node.js, stuff like that, server-side testing, this is, like, great. Um, but, you know, I think I'd really like to see some even more improvement in the integration area for, like, for testing JavaScript-type stuff, like with HTML and those kinds of things. Um, but, yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a cool project, especially if you like RSpec, so. Yeah, I like the, uh, the vocabulary here. It's, it's really familiar if, if you come from that background. Mm-hmm. Foursquare X, talking about another hobbyist project um this one's a an os10 client for foursquare which seems to be uh, locations all the rage on on twitter these days either you guys use foursquare no i don't i actually use uh gowalla i think yeah i'm a gowalla fan myself i uh i pinged the gowalla guys this morning for an api i'm dying for that api to to uh, <laughs> a, a rapper we're calling you out gowalla <laughs> i did so um but you know foursquare's got their api out there and they've got a little traction uh, this is a really nice looking app for doing that on the desktop without having to uh, use the iPhone or the web interface. And it's cool that they made it open source that anybody can forget and add features. It's, it's really nice. notice that you actually have to have Snow Leopard, not just Leopard. Yeah, I saw some uh, grumbling on um, <laughs> uh, Twitter, on the Twitter about that. But, you know, Twitter. it's how long Snow Leopard been out? It's like upgrade already. <laughs> well, that's me. I've been, uh, I've been delaying because of what, the, what that does to me. It, that puts me out of... I guess out of practice for a bit because I got to you know, reinstall and new gems and set up the system again. It's just a big, massive undertaking that I'm like doing right now. Actually, you know, I 
I kind of like that process because like yeah. spring cleaning, cleaning house. Back when I was on the Windows platform, I think I did it at least once a month. Well, yeah, I want to do it. It's just a pain in the I had to, right. There's just so much going on right now that right now is bad timing, and I don't think it's going to get any better, but just kind of resisting because I don't know. They're announcing Summer Leopard in about a half an hour, so you might as well just wait for that. And <laughs> Speaking of installing things, uh, one that we have not highlighted on the show that we will feature because now we're mentioning it on the show that – has got a lot of traction, and I've seen you talk about it a couple of times, John, is Homebrew. Yes, Homebrew is awesome. It's, it's really good. Um, it, so what makes it so cool is if you're someone like me that does not you know, want to compile and MD5 check some things and stuff like that, I just want to install something like – I like Max Drag and Drop. So um, you know, being able to just say brew install and then some – name is just it's perfect so it's it's definitely great it's got to be easier than mac ports right oh man yeah mac, mac ports i always run into i still have mac ports installed because of one uh one thing that kind of relies on it but um yeah it's definitely it's it's easier than that and it's it doesn't mess up with your system at all it's all you know you can put it in wherever you want and it'll only affect that place which is really cool all righty well thanks for sticking around and run down the news with us john my pleasure this is a blast it was a blast no, seriously. Thank, uh, thanks for joining us on the show. It's it's always a pleasure to uh, have someone else's take on what's happening in open source. We think it's awesome, and really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us for I don't know what an hour and a half now between the interview and the news. It's uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your day and enjoy Apple's announcements today. I will. Thanks a lot. to this edition of the changelog point your browser to tail.thechangelog.com to find out what's going on right now in open source also be sure to head to github.com forward slash explore to catch up on trending and feature repos as well as the latest episodes of the changelog log.